Would you pray with me again? Father, I thank you for the eternal life that flows from our Savior's hand. Lord, I thank you that he still has the power to calm the wind and the waves. Lord, I ask that you would bless us now as we look at your word. I pray that we would find a solid rock, a foundation to have real joy and real feasting because of what you have done for us and all of your promises. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear your word. I pray that your spirit would work powerfully among us. I pray that you would lift our hearts in joy through Jesus Christ. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Scripture reading this morning uh, is from the book of Leviticus. Uh, Book of Leviticus. If if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some that are under the seats in front of you. You can grab one. Uh, Leviticus is one of the first books in the Bible. In my Bible, I'm on page uh, 130. That is not super helpful, but it just lets you know it's early in the Bible. I'm going to be reading a selection of verses from chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. While you turn there, I've got a question. You know how there's goofy phrases in the English language? Uh, Some people say that English is maybe the strangest language in the world, and they might be right. I, I don't know. I studied enough languages that all of them are weird in one way or another. But have you ever heard the expression, you can't get blood from a turnip? I, I know, Mom, you have to shake your head because you're the person I heard it from. <laughs> it's kind of gross. I don't know why anyone wants to get blood out of a turnip. But the point is, it can't be done. You can't do, no matter how hard you try, you can't get blood out of a turnip. And this morning, I want to talk about the fact that the Lord commands us to rejoice. The Lord commands us to rejoice. Now that's maybe a little bit of an odd command. Can can you make yourself happy when you lost your job? Can you make yourself happy when you lose a loved one? Can you make yourself happy when you experience divorce or any number of things that cause us fear and anxiety and discouragement? Because it's in the midst of real life that the Lord, in his love, commands us to rejoice. So I want to ask today, and hopefully with the help of the Word of God, answer the question, how is it that we can rejoice in the middle of all of the trials and uncertainty and hardship of life that all of us experience? How is it that we can rejoice? And the title of my message today is Christians Keeping the Feast. Christians keeping the feast. Uh, We're looking at a passage in Leviticus for just a minute that talks about an Old Testament feast that no Christian is obligated to keep. With the coming of Christ, many parts of the Old Testament are no longer commands. God does not insist that you keep the feast that I'm about to describe. You might say, well, Pastor, why are you reading it? Because the way God intends for us to rejoice I think, is defined and tremendously helped by looking at how God commanded his people to rejoice in the Old Testament. None of his moral commands have expired. 
But some of the ways that he has commanded his people to keep these commands did expire as Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. So when Jesus comes, he keeps the law perfectly. He dies in my place and in your place because none of us have kept the law perfectly. The Bible teaches that all of us are sinners. And when Christ is raised from the dead, he promises forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who trusts in him. And that begins a life of following Christ, a life that includes biblical commands to rejoice. So you might say, well, how? Well, I want to answer that question, and I want to start in Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to pick it up in verse 37. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation or holy assembly or times when the whole family gets together. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day, and besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your freewill offerings which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. It's a seven-day week-long party. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. Now, a couple things. Uh, The sermon I'm about to preach to you is going to be based on a few verses throughout Scripture. But I'd like to ask you to keep this passage in mind as we look at some others. And I want to point out a couple of things to you about it. Number one, no one would hate this command. You get a week off work, and you get a command to celebrate. They're they're cutting off branches of trees, kind of like we cut down pine trees or buy plastic imitations of them and put them up for Christmas. They are decorating. They are eating. They are gathering. They are spending time with family and with community. And the command that is repeated multiple times throughout this passage is to rejoice before the Lord. Now, what is the foundation of their rejoicing? I don't know if you pick this up. God actually commands them. You might live in a regular house, but he commands them to set up a booth or like a tent. And they go and they live in this little booth or in this little tent. And what they're doing is they're celebrating harvest. And the reason they're commanded to celebrate harvest in this sort of backyard camping trip is... Because God rescued them. They were slaves in Egypt, oppressed, needing a deliverer. And God, in his mercy and his kindness, sent Moses to save them. Not because they were good or better than anybody else, but because of his grace and his mercy. 
And if you read the book of Exodus, you can hear the story of how the Lord dealt harshly and poured out judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt for the sins that they were committing in oppressing the Israelites. And how the final act of judgment was God sent an angel of death and he told the people and the Egyptians are included in these instructions. You need to sacrifice a lamb. You need to sacrifice a lamb and put some of its blood on the doorpost of your house and stay indoors. The desire of God is not for anyone to perish, but that everyone would find mercy. And so these instructions are intended for everyone who will listen Sacrifice a lamb and put some of its blood on the doorposts of your houses and stay indoors. And the Lord sent an angel of judgment and the firstborn of everyone in the land of Egypt was killed unless they sacrificed a lamb. That was true of the people of God as well. Because what the Bible describes is that all of us, Israelite, non-Israelite, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter what your background is, all of us are separated from God because of our sin. And so in that Passover lamb, in the book of Exodus, we find a picture of Christ. That the blood of someone innocent had to cover and pay for our sins. And that that sacrifice that Christ made was once for all. This deliverance from Egypt happened one time. And yet God commanded every generation to remember it forever. It may have been hundreds of years for some Israelites. It would have been over a thousand years after Moses that they would read these instructions and know God rescued my ancestors. And I'm going to camp out in my backyard for a whole week. And I'm going to cut off some branches of trees. And I'm going to eat some good food. And I'm going to remember That God is a God who saves. That God is a God who forgives. That God is a God who provides. You see, the deliverance from Egypt was just the beginning of a relationship with God. Where they had been promised rich land and good food. And so God, their savior, provided food for them every year. And this feast happens at the end of their harvest season. So they gather in the best of the best food and they recognize, you know what? God didn't just deliver my family from Egypt a generation ago or even hundreds of years ago, but God provided this for me now. And so they set aside time to worship the Lord through rejoicing. And they did it every single year because if you don't set aside time to rejoice, you won't. You'll begin to think that you deserve the things that you have, or you'll be angry because of the things that you don't have. And so the command to rejoice is a command to remember what God has already done for you and to trust in what God has promised to do for you in the future. And so on that foundation, God is our Savior. Because he's our Savior, he commands us to rejoice I want to look at a few passages from the New Testament and build on this theme. This is the week that we are celebrating Thanksgiving as a church. So I hope that it is very obviously applicable to the food that we're about to eat in about 35, 40 minutes. But I want to also ask you to think of Christmas and Easter and every feast throughout the year. And guys, some of you were at the men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago. Some of what I say is what I said to you publicly there. And so I want to broaden this and help us all practice good and godly rejoicing at Thanksgiving and at Christmas and throughout the entire year.
I want to invite you, in fact, in this moment, right now as you listen to the word of God, to rejoice with me. I am using the word of God to preach to myself first to tell me that I need to rejoice in God. And I am going to rejoice in God now as I speak what is true according to his word. And I'm going to invite you to rejoice in him by listening carefully and attentively and by believing his word as you hear it. I would encourage you to have an attitude of prayer as you listen and to look for ways to rejoice now and throughout this week and throughout this year. And as all of us have hardship and fears and trials, ask for the Lord's help in obeying his word to rejoice. I think now in this year, it is perhaps more important than ever that Christians rejoice in a godly way. We live in a country that is deeply divided and often angry. Sometimes, because of divisions, even within our own church, we struggle to love each other and to to rejoice as we should. And we wonder, why is the Christian life hard? Why is it difficult to do church together? And so I believe both the command and the reasons that we can rejoice are really critical in each of our lives and in the life of our church right now. I do want to clarify one thing. When I talked about the same topic at a men's breakfast about two weeks ago now, a man came up to me afterwards and he said, Pastor, man, you said some good things, but I I want to say there are some people that are really sad this time of year because they, they lost a loved one or they went through a divorce And so it's not that they don't like the holidays. It's not that they don't like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. It's just that they go through a seasonal kind of depression and discouragement. And so I want to say to you, if you are discouraged or broken during this season, and I don't mean that as a criticism, all of us are to some extent, there are sweet and beautiful songs that you can use to express your faith and your longing and your sorrow. Songs like, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it is okay to express grief to the Lord while everyone else is sorrowful. In fact, until Jesus returns, I believe that a Christian's joy is always mixed with sorrow to some extent. Until the Lord comes back, we will wrestle with hard things. But I would say to you this, gently and lovingly, if you are dealing with discouragement and depression and anxiety and fear, you are not exempt from the Lord's invitation to rejoice, but you might begin the process differently. It might be more difficult for you. And perhaps it is even more important to deliberately Work towards rejoicing. You say, how can you do that, man? I'm going to turn up and you're asking for blood. Here's what I believe. It starts with resting in the good promises of God. It begins by recognizing what God has done and what God has promised to do for you. And so I want to point you, the first point this morning from my outline is the foundation of celebration, or you could say the foundation of Christian rejoicing. And I want to give you from Philippians 4.4, just a simple verse, and then I want to give you a whole host of reasons 
that this command is given to us. So Philippians 4.4. 4, one of many examples of this. Paul says to the church, and I believe the Lord would say to you and to me, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now there's a really clear qualification to that command, okay? He is saying very specifically, in the Lord. In the Lord. Now we're going to talk about ways to rejoice in trials and in suffering in just a minute. But rejoicing in pain and in loss is only possible if you are able to rejoice in the Lord. It has to start with Jesus. See, what does Jesus do for you? We're going to talk about that in detail in just a second here. But I want to remind you of the gospel of grace. That not because you're good, not because of anything you have done or will do, but because God loves you, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. And if your faith is in Christ Jesus... You have a precious gift. You have the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. And so no matter what happens today, tomorrow, this week, this year, or for the next 50 years, you have a hope that cannot be taken away. You have a treasure that no one can touch. So you have the ability to rejoice. And if you remember the Lord, even in sorrow and grief, even if your sorrow feels like an ocean flooding over you, your joy will be like a spark underneath all of it that cannot be extinguished. You can have real joy in the midst of sorrow if you are in the Lord. And I would ask you today, are you confident that you're in the Lord? Do you know him? Have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you obediently been baptized to say, you know what? I deserve the punishment for sins, but Jesus took it for me, and I am trusting him completely. That is the foundation of Christian celebration, being in the Lord. And I did just a, a very simple search. I looked at the English word rejoice. Now, there are lots of things that I didn't do. I didn't look for rejoiced in the past. I didn't look for rejoicing in the present. I searched for rejoice because that is most often how the command is expressed. And about 161 times in an English Bible, you find the word rejoice. That does not count any of the other expressions like praise ye the Lord that express the same sort of idea. So more than 161 times, we find this good command. How do we do it? Well, it starts with that foundation of Christ. But I want to give you just a list of things that come along with the forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven. In fact, all of them are wrapped up in the forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven. But I want to be a little bit more specific so if you know the Lord, number one, you can rejoice because your sins are forgiven and you have the promise of eternal joy in the presence of God. But let me be even more specific than that. Number two, you can rejoice right now because one day your body will be healed. Now, if you're healthy, that doesn't sound great. But if you're not healthy, that gives you hope. Sometimes the Lord delivers us from physical sickness and illness and disease and brokenness now, 
But for many people, their healing will not come until heaven. You know, I've never heard of the Lord reversing old age. Some of his saints live a long time and then die and go to heaven. Some of his saints die young. All of them die. And so the future healing that we have is a promise that we take on faith. But you can rejoice now in your brokenness. As you age, as you're sick, you can rejoice that one day your body will be healed. How do you rejoice in the present, in the midst of sickness and sorrow and suffering? Well, if you turn on the news or you flip on your phone, the news always seems to be bad. And it's generally true that everything costs too much and is getting more expensive. But the reality is, you can rejoice now because not only do you have a future hope, you can rejoice because God has already demonstrated his love for you. And you can preach that gospel to yourself again and again. Often, when sickness and sorrow and hardship come, we wonder, does God love me? And the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can answer the question, does God love me, with a loud, resounding yes, because God showed you his love on the cross of Christ. He gave his son for you. He did not withhold his son. And the Bible says, he who did not withhold his son from us, how will he not fail to give us every good thing? And the answer is he will give us every good thing in just the right time. So rejoice now because God has already demonstrated his love for you. You can rejoice now because your names are written in the book of life. You can rejoice now because you are God's child and he loves you. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings about endurance. So you can rejoice right now because there is a purpose in your trial. God is strengthening your faith. You see this again and again throughout the Bible. Faith is cheap when times are good. But when times are bad, your father who loves you, who already demonstrated his love for you, is testing and strengthening and refining your faith. And that's a good thing. You will know him better on the other side because of the trial. You can rejoice that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Rejoice that God works everything together for your good. You can rejoice that God never changes. So he will not stop working for your good. People change. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. God is always good and never changes. So you can rejoice in the character of God. You can rejoice that God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You may say, hey, I got a list of needs and I've been waiting a long time. Well, you know what? Sometimes your greatest need is to trust the Lord when you don't have what you think you need. If you recognize that God has already demonstrated his love for you in the cross of Christ, you can take on faith that he will supply your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not only that, you can rejoice that God is with you and God will never leave you. You are never alone. You can rejoice 
that right now, through the word of God, God is teaching you and I what is right and true and good to bless you and not to harm you. And so if you ask the question, what's the foundation for Christian rejoicing? I've just given you about 10 different things that give you the ability to rejoice no matter what's happening in the world. No matter how difficult things are, you have a foundation that cannot be shaken because of what Christ has done for you. So if that's the foundation for Christian joy and rejoicing, I want to talk for just a moment about the freedom of worship, the freedom of worship. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, I read this passage from Leviticus. Nobody keeps this feast except for a few people that may just want to see the Old Testament come alive and they say, hey, we're going to try this. You know, we, we have had a Passover Seder at our church once since I've been here. Uh, other churches have said, hey, let's do a, a feast of booths. I don't know of anybody who's done it for a full week. Closest you get is to a camping trip, and that's not really the same. But the reality is, New Testament believers are not commanded to keep any specific feast. We are commanded to gather together for worship regularly, but I want to show you that there's a lot of freedom in how we obey this command from Philippians to rejoice. So my text here is Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. Paul has already described the amazing salvation that we have available to us. And starting with chapter 12, he lovingly describes how people who believe in Jesus are to live. And in chapter 14, he starts talking about, hey, there's a reality. Christians disagree on some stuff. So how do you get along with somebody you disagree with? And in this chapter, he describes Christian freedom, especially as it pertains to worship on specific days and on specific holidays. So the freedom of worship, Romans 14, I'm going to read starting in verse 5. Paul says, one person esteems one day as better than another. In other words, some, some people like to keep some specific holidays, each, uh, uh, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Now, that passage is talking specifically about some believers felt like they had to keep the Feast of Booths and the Passover and some of the other feasts that are in the Old Testament. And, and Paul allows this as a kind of Christian liberty, but he says, hey, you can't command it. Jesus has fulfilled these feasts. He has kept the feasts perfectly. He has offered himself as a sacrifice. If you think that you're trying to earn God's favor by obeying the law, you are lost. You can't earn God's favor by being good. No one biblically is good. But if you want to remember Jesus and to thank God for what he's done by having a party, Paul says, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm going to read a passage in Deuteronomy in a minute that describes partying that I think makes some conservative people maybe a little bit uncomfortable because of the kind of joy and rejoicing that God commands that I think we should engage in in about 20 minutes. This kind of joy and rejoicing is good and healthy for you spiritually when you do it 
in the Lord. The reality is, when you give thanks to God for his good gifts, if you do it as a believer in Jesus, you are worshiping. And there's a lot of freedom in how you do that. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you a bunch of different ideas. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't try to do all of them. Pick one of them and run with it hard. But I want to give you some suggestions and ways to think, how might I obey this command to rejoice if I'm a believer in Jesus? How can I have a radical kind of joy now while schools are closing and cases are rising and inflation is crazy and everyone's angry, how can I have this kind of joy? I just want to give you some examples to run after. Believe in Jesus is the first one. But how do you rejoice as a believer in Jesus? Well, the reality is Thanksgiving's not in the Bible. None of our Christmas traditions are in the Bible, unless you're somebody that likes to read Luke 2 every year or something. Like Luke 2 is in the Bible, but it's not commanded to be read every December 25th. So how do you as a Christian keep the command to rejoice? Well, point one is you've got a lot of flexibility. You don't have to keep a tradition just because somebody else does. And as part of that, I would add, there is absolutely no value in keeping a meaningless tradition. I believe Christians need to thoughtfully celebrate the birth of Jesus, and celebrate the provision of God at Thanksgiving, and be deliberate about letting those be occasions for rejoicing and worshiping. It is possible to keep feasts in a wrong way. Okay, and I'll give you an example that that I get tempted towards. How many of you guys love to look through the ads that come out for Black Friday as part of your Thanksgiving celebration? Everybody, like, and, and I'm, I'm going to knock you just a minute because I'm, I'm knocking myself too. Like, I like to look at those ads. It's possible to let that become a longing for things you don't have on a day set aside to be thankful for things that you do have. So don't, don't let, and there's, there's nothing wrong with shopping for Christmas. There's nothing, that, I think that's part of the season and rejoicing. I'm not, not saying you're a bad person if you do that, but I will say, if you fail to give thanks, you've missed an opportunity to rejoice. Can we agree on that? If you fail to give thanks, you've missed an opportunity to rejoice. And if your heart longs after things you don't have, you'll never be happy. We all know this. You don't find happiness and joy in stuff. And if you become the kind of person that you always look for the things that you don't have, you are training your heart to be discontent. And that is the opposite of rejoicing. So friends, let's allow each other some liberty, but let's recognize whether it's Thanksgiving or whether it's Christmas, there's an opportunity to do this wrong and to miss out on joy and rejoicing. And I'm standing here because I I want you to be happy. I want you to have joy. I want you to understand how we can use these holidays to have real joy. Another way of getting it wrong is to just be, you know, I'm going to condemn all of the materialism that starts earlier and earlier every year, and I'm just not going to party. Well, friends, if you don't rejoice because you're mad at other people, you are also not rejoicing. You're just as guilty as not rejoicing, but for a different reason. And so I want to say to you, let's be faithful to rejoice in the season. Let's be faithful to give thanks. And I want to give you one of my favorite verses. verse, Many of you have heard this again and again, but I think it's so helpful. Proverbs 24, 13 says, My son, eat honey, for it is good. 
and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. The Bible just commanded you to eat honey. That is a command I love. And the next verse tells you why. He says, know that wisdom is such to your soul. So all of the commands that are difficult and hard are sweet to your soul, even when they seem bitter to your heart. Know that wisdom is like honey for your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. So one way you can rejoice at Thanksgiving is with a slice of pie. I like pecan pie. Some of you say pecan pie. I don't know. I, I, however you want to say it. The one with the little nuts that's super sweet. You can take a bite of that and know Jesus Christ is sweet to my soul. And I'm not kidding. Jesus Christ allows the pain and the trials into your life. Your soul is going to be tempted regularly to say, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And with that little pecan pie bite, you can fight that and say, Jesus Christ is sweet to my soul. I will rejoice like Job who loses everything and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Not because you like pain, not because God is evil, but because God is good and you can use a feast to fight for joy in your soul. So if that is the foundation for Christian feasting, and I'm suggesting we need to be careful to be faithful in feasting, I want to give you a little bit more specific instructions from the Bible about feasting and charity that I think apply to this time of year. So I've got three points. This is my third point, and we're going to move a little bit quickly through it. The foundation of feasting and charity, specifically because feasting, eating good, rich things, and charity, giving good things away, are both ways to biblically rejoice. So I want to show you another Old Testament passage. I I love the Old Testament. A lot of people hate it and feel like God is super mean in the Old Testament, and I think they just need to read it more carefully. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, Deuteronomy chapter 14 This is in the context of God commanding his people to give generously, to give back some of what he has blessed them with. And you find both feasting and charity commanded in these verses. So I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Deuteronomy 14, starting in verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. So biblically, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to give one-tenth of everything they grew, if you're a farmer. And before the Lord, what do they do with it? Before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name to dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now, that's a little different. A lot of Christians have heard you're supposed to give a tenth of what you have to the church, and I'm not going to preach on giving today. I think there's a Christian foundation for giving generously. I don't think the Bible commands a specific amount, but I think the Lord wants us to be generous. But this actually says that in the Old Testament, they were to take their tithe and eat it. That They were to celebrate with it. And notice, God makes provision. Okay, so Israel is kind of a large country, and there are no cars or trucks or vans or buses or or, or planes. So if you live in the north or if you live 
far away in the south, it, it could be over 100 miles in order to get to the place where people were supposed to worship. So how do you take all of your produce and get it to the place where you're supposed to have this feast? Well, God makes provision for that. He says, if the way is too long for you, this is verse 24, so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money. So sell it and take and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. And at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Now, some of you might be asking, what's a Levite? Uh, that's, that's a great question. That's, that's part of the family that descended from Abraham, and they were given special responsibilities to serve in the temple, and because they had responsibilities to serve, they didn't make money or grow crops the way the rest of the nation did. So God is providing for them that they can rejoice along with the rest of the people of Israel. And I want to point out two things here. Number one, the reason God commands this is so that they learn to fear him. So if you don't ever set aside time for worship, your partying will not be worship. It'll just be the same as the partying that everyone else engages in. I am talking about Christian worship here. I am not talking about just having a good time for the sake of having a good time. If you don't know the Lord as your savior, you can't do this. But the Lord is commanding rejoicing for believers to remember the goodness of God in his gift of Christ, and in his regular provision for us so that we can eat and rest and have good things. And he commands a kind of rejoicing. He says, spend your money for whatever you desire. In other words, budget for the feast that you should have as a church and as a family. And don't feel bad. Don't feel like it's a waste to hang up decorations or, or to buy good food. But instead, rejoice. Rejoice with the good things God has given you. And if you don't have enough, you need to find some people that have enough to share. And if you have an abundance, you need to find some people that don't have enough so that no one is excluded in this kind of joy and feasting. So this passage gives instructions for how to have the party, and then it gives a command, make sure that those who don't have enough get to party too. And very specifically, the reason the Lord says, look out for those who don't have enough. Did you notice the very last verse I read says that the Lord, your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Guys, I don't know how often you've got to the end of the holiday season and you feel like you're half dead. You just exhausted, you're burnt out, it's way too much, and you haven't got enough sleep and you've eaten too much food that, that you know, it's good for your soul, but bad for your body. And by January, you feel like you need to sleep for a week. And, and you, you're, well, here's what I think part of that comes from, at least for me. And I'd ask you to check your heart and see if this is true for you. I think sometimes in our feasting, we have neglected Christian charity. 
God says in this passage in Deuteronomy, the reason to be generous with other people is so that the Lord your God may bless you. And if you have focused too much on yourself and on your own family, it's entirely possible that you're missing out on the blessings of the Lord because we haven't been faithful to bless those around us. Now, I am really thankful. Our church is very good at looking for opportunities to bless the community, whether it's with turkeys or Christmas presents or hats and gloves. We do a lot. What I want to say to each of you is make sure that you check your heart this season and make sure that you're practicing some kind of generosity with the people around you. you know, maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe you can't be generous financially, but find a way to serve and, and to include someone. Make sure you, you know, a phone call to a, a relative that lives by themselves doesn't cost anything these days. You can pick up the phone and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, I miss you. Hey, I love you. Make sure that you are including people in your holiday rejoicing so that you are faithfully making acts of charity part of your celebration. Now, I'm going to end this in just a second here, and I want to very clearly give you a couple opportunities to think through. We're celebrating Thanksgiving this week. We've got the Christmas season coming up this Friday. We're going to be singing some great songs to celebrate the Christmas season, so that's right around the corner. I want to ask each person here to be thinking about how am I going to use this season to faithfully worship as a believer? Now, maybe if you're a single person, you live alone, you're going to be thinking about how do I worship the Lord daily by myself? If you live with somebody, you're going to be thinking about how do I worship with someone? Or if you have a family that lives with you, how do we worship together as a family? And I want to give you a couple of suggestions, a couple of ideas, but I don't want to miss this. Everything I've said is in the context of being a believer in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, Christmas is meaningless and Thanksgiving is temporary. I believe the best way to worship is by recognizing that God is worthy of your worship because he loves you and he gave his son to die for you. And I would ask, if you're not sure that you know the Lord, would you talk to me today before you leave? I'll give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, We've got a little business to conduct as a church, but the most important thing that we do as a church is we preach Jesus Christ and we want you to know him. And nothing matters more than that. If you have questions about that, I want to ask you right now, would you just commit to talking to me today before you leave? Would you be willing to say, man, I want to celebrate this year with the assurance of knowing that no matter what happens in this life, that God loves me and my sins are forgiven. I want that foundation that I can hold on to in the midst of anxiety and fear. And if you want to know more about that, I want you to talk with me today. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus, I want to give you a couple of suggestions of ways that I think are good to feast. And one of them might seem a little bit odd, but I want to encourage you to feast on the word daily. Feast on the word daily. You need to remember the goodness of God. Do you remember when Jesus is in the wilderness? I actually just read this this morning. When he's tempted by the devil, and the devil says, I want you to turn stones into bread. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now look, we can feast with good, rich food and know the sweetness of God, but if we don't know the sweetness of his word, that foundation is gonna be a little iffy. It's gonna be a little suspect. So I wanna encourage you, every believer in here, make sure that you are feasting on the word in this season of feasting. You say, man, I don't know how to do that. Well, I've got something to help you. Um, Today, I've only got about 10 copies of this, but this is a little devotional that takes you through the Christmas season. 25 days, it's gonna give you a little bit of Bible and a little bit of 
something to think about, and I've got them at the back of the room. You don't have to come talk to me. You can just take one. Uh, it's not theft. They're totally paid for. They are intended to be given away. If you struggle on a daily basis to read the word, this is a great way to start. Read it first thing in the morning. Read it before bed. I don't care when you read it, but get in the habit and say, man, this Christmas, I'm going to worship the Lord by feasting on his word, and I'm going to start December 1st, and I'm going to worship the Lord through the Advent season with his word, knowing what God has done for me. That's step one. Feast on his word. Uh, step two, you could celebrate Advent in your home. There are lots of ways to do this. You can have little ornaments. You can use candles. Next week, we're going to have an Advent wreath, and we're going to be celebrating Advent as a church. And I want to encourage you, don't just celebrate once a week. Celebrate Advent in your home. And maybe you live alone. You say, well, it's just me at my house. Why am I even bothering? Well, because you can worship the Lord by yourself. You can have sweet communion with God, and the decorations will be a good reminder for you of what God has done in Jesus Christ. So decorate. Go ahead and celebrate Advent, even if you live alone. Use decorations that point to Jesus. Uh, And here's one. Maybe it doesn't fit for everybody, but I would say sing a really good song throughout this whole season. Pick a favorite. I think every year you need to pick a favorite Christmas song, and you need to sing it almost every day. Uh, So our family this year, we got a little bit ambitious because I married somebody who is enormously musically talented. Uh, um, She's got the disgusting ability to be able to pick out harmony harmony parts without anyone teaching her those harmony parts. And and so we picked a song that we all knew this year. We we all know how to sing Joy to the World, and she's helping us learn how to harmonize just to make it a little extra special, just to make it a little something different. Uh, We're we're learning a harmony part. I'm not going to sing it for you right now. But we have deliberately chosen, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing every day. And that song lifts our hearts and our spirit. And when my kids were really small, that meant Lauren and I sang while they bounced around and played and no one else sang. Um, And that was okay. That beginning has been an awesome reward now as my little kids know how to sing and they're beginning to sing and we're teaching them how to get better and better musically. And singing is a great way to rejoice. I don't even care if you have a bad voice. Uh, You can put on a CD and sing with somebody who's got a better voice than you, but pick a good song that points to Jesus and sing it every day. I want to encourage you, make something delicious, something good. Uh, I I called Betty because she makes lots of delicious and good things. Uh, She mentioned pecan pie. Uh, Betty, I I probably would have said something about pecan pie earlier, even if I hadn't called you, but this is a great way to celebrate the season with good and sweet things. Uh, My family, sometimes, we don't do it every year, but sometimes we make a a figgy pudding and we light it on fire because that's what you're supposed to do with figgy puddings. And, And I play the music from Handel's Messiah that says the people in darkness have seen a great light and go, and there's a great light. And it's a little bit goofy. And it's a little, figgy pudding doesn't taste that great. It's just really festive. <laughs> and we rejoice before the Lord because of what God has done for us, that we believe we have seen a great light in Christ. And we're having a goofy celebration that helps us remind us of his goodness. Friends, there are tons of ways that you can do this. Uh, Some of you are gifted craftsmen. Make something beautiful. Uh, Guys, some of you have made our mangers and and our stables in the past, and we've been using those for years. They are sturdy. I think they will be here until Jesus comes back. Your craftsmanship is a great way to bring something beautiful into the season. Give someone a really good gift. Love them by thinking about what they would especially like, not what they put on a list, but give someone a good gift. 
invite someone to something, to worship Jesus. Uh, I didn't mention, but Christmas Eve, we're going to be downtown again at 8 o'clock. Come celebrate with the whole community as we point to Jesus and sing some good songs, and let's be faithful to keep this feast. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would bless us. As individual people, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that someone calls on you for salvation. That there would be rejoicing in heaven because the sinners come home and been saved. Father, I pray for those of us who walk with you, Lord. It's a daily battle. It is a fight. And I ask that we would use this feasting to win that fight for your glory. That we would be curiously happy in a time of uncertainty and fear. God, that's only possible through the power of your Holy Spirit in us. So as we've read from your word, the command to rejoice, as we've understood the foundation of Christ, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our bellies with good feasting. I ask that you would bless us today, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I am not sure if we have another song, and I don't have an order of service in front of me. No song. Okay. Um, I see, I, I, uh, no, (laughs) uh, I'll share that on Facebook. Um, (laughs) um, we do have a little bit of business in just a minute. So if you are not a member of our church yet, if you haven't joined, I want to invite you. You can walk down that hall, follow your nose and, and come feast with us. We would love to have you stay. Um, and if you are a member of the church, uh, Kevin Williams is going to call us to order and we're going to have a real quick business meeting. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you. Uh, if you stay, give a kid a cookie today. <laughs>